Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year again. It's great to see you here, and it is a blessing to be with uh, family and friends uh, at the beginning of yet another year. Uh, we have been, last year, working on a, in a series and in a co concept called Learn and Live, and we're carrying that theme over into this year as well. We're going to talk about that this morning. But uh, I just want to tell you how, how good it is to be here together with you and uh, to see so many of you. Tony's good to see you. Here's good to see you. I, I just, let's just, let's do Romper Room. Does anybody know, remember that one? I see. But I, I'm especially good to see Micah over here. And I want to tell you why. Um, because his wife really didn't want him to wear his Chewbacca Crocs this morning. Uh, because it was embarrassing. And he told her, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wear Hawaiian shirt, shorts, and the Chewbacca Crocs. And she said, and then he said, "Pick, pick one." And we got the Chewbacca Crocs here, which I'm just—I think that's a good way. Yeah, it's a good way to manage tension in in the marriage. Good job. Uh, but I just want you today, before you leave, to encourage him on his awesome shoes and to embarrass his wife, because that's why we're here. We're here to embarrass one another. Uh, no, it's great. It's just good to be in community and, and good to be here with you this morning. Um, one, we're jumping into a new year today, and I am, I am really jazzed and excited about where we're going this year. I believe in what we're doing and who we are as a church. And as I was preparing this morning and as I was getting ready to head out, I was just in prayer before heading out onto the stage during that first song and and what I was saying to the Lord is God please let this be your plan not mine let it be let your ways prevail because when you get really excited about the structure of something and your plans and how things are laid off out in the, in the new things on this wall over here that we're going to be working through you start to get um, maybe a little focused on what man can do and I want to make sure that as we begin this year and as we launch into something that I believe is going to be transformative for us, uh, that we are making sure that we are putting that heartily and intentionally into the hands of God to lead it and not in our hands. So would you pray that prayer with me this morning? Let's just humbly put ourselves at the feet of God and ask him to lead this year. Uh, Father God, thank you for uh, this family this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to serve and to walk with you this year and for the, just the opportunity to breathe your air and walk in your world once again as things have that sense of starting anew and afresh and we realize that all good things are from you. And Father, as we have plans this year and we're excited about where we believe that you are leading and providing for us to go, I pray that we would not be limited by our vision that man can see, but, Father, you would work above and beyond, and might you be the focus of all that we do and all the, the programming, the intentional things that we're trying to accomplish, the things that we have, have tried to cut and put to the wayside so that we can focus completely. Father, let these things be honoring above all to you, and you be the one that works in it, please. And let us just be the servants of your purpose. Father, please bless us as we put ourselves in that humble position to be your servants this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Well, let's <clears throat> dive into it, hopefully having built the foundation the right way. When Jesus walked on this earth in physical form as a man, he would often walk up to people just having met them, and he would say two words to them. You know, and it was, a, it was a statement of intent. It was a request. It was a command. Do you know what those two words were? Anybody have any idea? Follow me. He would just randomly, not randomly, intentionally, but he would walk up to people and he would say, you, follow me. And the crazy thing is, they would. They would leave their things. They would get up and follow Jesus. And maybe you've watched the popular show that's out right now in Angel Studios called The Chosen. It depicts the life of Jesus, and it's really well done. The uh, writers have, have done a, a nice way, a nice job of you know, giving us an interpretation of Jesus' life and his father's lives that becomes very relatable, and we help, it helps us to see these are real people. And certainly there's a lot of embellishment and a lot of uh, guessing at what some of these situations might have been like, but I think it's a helpful tool to help us to put skin and, and a body and, and a real person on the faces of those names that we just sometimes read in Scripture and might not feel that real to us. In a, an episode, we're, we're kind of behind, we're catching up, and our family, we watch them about once every Saturday, and that's about all I can take because it's, I just am so moved by it. I get kind of teary watching these episodes, and I want to talk about them, and, uh, and I just can't for a little while because I'm moved. But in a recent one that we watched, Jesus has recruited Simon and Andrew, the brothers, the fishermen, and they are having a discussion after they've decided to follow Jesus. And in, a, in this hypothetical conversation, the author is imagining that some of those early talks may have been like this. Simon says to Andrew, do you remember when our father took us out and taught us to fish? And Andrew says, no. No, our dad did not teach us to fish. He just took us out on the boat and he sat us there. He didn't say a word and we just watched him. And then we tried it later because, and we just tried to do what we saw and we were terrible at it, but we figured it out over time from just watching. And Simon says, you know what? I think what we are about to do is going to be a lot like that. And it certainly was as the followers of Jesus picked up and they followed him a lot of what they did was just watching, following, watching, and learning, and then saying, okay, when Jesus said, okay, guys, it's your turn to go do it, just trying, and, and then he would give them feedback on what they did. It was a lot of trial and error, but following Jesus means watching what he does and then doing what he does. John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, we read that context, and we read about the amazing things Jesus does. as you'll do more amazing things than these, and so maybe we get hung up on that idea. But really, the overarching concept there, the theme the, of what Jesus is saying is that if you follow me, you're going to act like me. And that's confirmed because several verses later, we see down in verse 21 of the same chapter, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And so that's 
why we are called to be not just a people who watch and learn, but also a people who live. If we're a follower of Jesus, then we're going to live out that which we learn. It's the whole theme of last year. Learn and live. Learn and do. And that's who we are at MVA. We are not just those who sit and learn, but we are those who learn and live, who learn and do. But Jesus didn't just say, follow me. He didn't just say, learn and live. He said, leave what you are doing and do what I do. Well, that's another level. Leave what you are doing and learn and live. One example of this is with the brothers James and John, also fishermen in Matthew 4. It says, Going from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And that seems like a very intense statement, doesn't it? Now, that's why shows and and things like The Chosen help us to put a little bit more context on what would have been a very human moment. You know, well, Dad, we love you, but we're heading out. The way in which this is written, the author is not trying to make us think that Jesus tells us not that they don't care for their father. He's helping us to understand the very real, the very important, the very life-changing reality that happens when we say yes to following Jesus. They left what they were doing, and they followed him. There was a rich man that Jesus spoke to in Matthew chapter 19. And he said to that man, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, Jesus, we learn a few verses earlier in this passage, knew the rich man's heart. Like, he understood his big hang-up, and it was his stuff. And so Jesus says, before you follow me, you're going to have to leave behind. Before you learn and live, you've got to leave behind. And the rich man went away sad because at least at that point he could not leave behind. He wanted to learn and he wanted to live, but he couldn't leave behind. Jesus went to a man named Matthew who was a tax collector who also loved money. In fact, he was cheating his own people, the Jewish people, in order to gain more of it. And Matthew chapter 9 says, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. He left everything behind in the tax collector's booth, all of his income, all of that which was his earthly gain. And he said, okay, I'm leaving behind to follow Jesus. He had the opposite response of the rich man from from Matthew 19. He, he, there was a man also, uh, there, there were several actually in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus called to follow him. A man who said, I'll go wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, just so you know, I don't have a home. This is going to be a big step for you. You're going to have to leave behind comfort to follow me. That's wherever I go. 
Another man wanted to go home and wait for his father to die, and then he would follow Jesus. And Jesus said, let others worry about death. You worry about preaching the kingdom of life. That's what you must do to follow me. You've got to leave that behind. Another man who wanted to go say goodbye to his family, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, this seems harsh, but the scripture is helping us to draw a line that says, if I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to learn and live, I must leave behind. And to his disciples, he said, all of his disciples, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, and Jesus told them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, leave behind, let him take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, whoever leaves behind for my sake will find it don't miss what's being communicated here following jesus is very serious business in fact it involves cost it involves sacrifice and it involves worthwhile change but it does involve change they hear me on this and don't mistake what i'm about to say for tickling ears as paul warns will be coming in the future from preachers and teachers that are going to say things that we like to hear and want to hear. And don't mistake it for something like the prosperity gospel where, where pe- teachers preach that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. And don't mistake it for what some people call easy believism, where the simple path is the right path. To come to Jesus is not easy. But to come to Jesus is not misery. To follow Jesus is to live purposeful. It's to live challenging, uh, in challenging work. But it's also to live in purposeful, peace-giving rest. You know how it feels at the end of the day after you've accomplished something really meaningful and you just fold your arms and look at it? I've mentioned this before, but it just always comes to mind when you've worked really hard on the lawn and you're just sweaty and nasty and you're, you're sore in places you haven't been in a while and you finally sit down and sip on that lemonade and you look at it and you go, yeah. That feeling, that restful satisfaction that you have in hard work. Or maybe you get home at the end of the day from a job that where you do sit behind a computer a lot and and your brain is just buzzing because you have been creating content and you've been, you've been writing those important emails and you've been doing all this stuff that you have to get done. And literally, I get home sometimes in my brain. Do, do you have this sensation in your brain where your brain's just going sometimes because you've been so focused on work and then you go at the end of the day and, and you can feel that hum in there, but there's a satisfaction in it too because you... He said, man, I worked hard today, and I accomplished a lot. For me, that's when I sit down, and my wife got me one of those gaming chairs years ago for Father's Day. Oh, I love it. I sit down in my living room in my little gaming chair, and Watson, my my little uh, spaniel, he jumps up in my lap because he was bred to sit in people's laps, and uh, he sits up there, and he kind of snuggles in, and man, I sit there with a cup of coffee. I shouldn't be drinking that late in the day, and... I just go, I feel that buzz in my head, and I go, oh, that was, 
Praise the Lord. That was a good day. We got a lot accomplished. And just so you know, if I have what we call um, uh, uh, King Charles Spaniel uh, fairy dust, which is dog hair, all over me, I'm probably pretty happy, okay? That's just me. But you get to that moment where you just settle in after that type of hard work and you go, yes. That's good. This is what Jesus is calling us to, meaningful work. But he's also calling us to those meaningful moments of rest. A rhythm of life that our creator intended us to experience and to live in. I want that peace and that purpose for you and all who come here to MVA. This is what Jesus offers when he says, I come to bring fullness of life now in me. Not just in learning theological things, but in living the way that I lived, in the revealed life and patterns of Jesus Christ himself. The problem is that when we hear the call of Jesus to follow him, to really learn and then to live, to listen and to watch his ways and emulate them, our response, maybe not verbally but internally, is, well, when would I do that? I mean, you know how busy I am busy I'm busy busy may be one of the most offensive four letter words we could say when Christ calls us to follow what would have been the response of Jesus to those that he called to follow me if they had responded to ooh I'd like to I'm sorry I'm just too busy. Yet it is so easy for us to respond with that because we in our culture, in our time, have called busy a virtue. In fact, we will ask each other, how was your week? And we will say, oh, busy. It's not just busy. It's busy. Oh, it's just, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so busy. In fact, if our lives are so full of busy that we cannot elevate Jesus to the center of our thoughts and our actions and our time, then busy is much more than just a problem. It's an infection. It's a disorder. It's a virus. It's a deadly pandemic. The problem is we become so used to the virus in our veins and the symptoms of our pain that we don't notice it much anymore. Worse, we call it normal, as if we're living sacrificially in the only reality possible, the reality of jaded weariness. You know what I mean, that jaded weariness. How you doing? Oh, busy. In fact, how many of you have been in a situation where 
you will have had a very restful week. Maybe you were on vacation. Maybe you didn't have a whole lot going on. And someone says, how was your week? And you feel guilt at the thought of saying, actually, it was great. It was very restful. I had this wonderful time this week. And you go, I can't answer that way. So you think of the one thing in your week that was challenging, hard, and a little upset, and you go, oh, well, this one thing happened. Like it's a virtue, like that's a good way to respond in our culture. Do you see what we've done to ourselves? We've said this is the virtuous thing, to be overworked, tired, and worn out. And if I say that, then it's the right answer. To say that I'm rested, well, that, that might indicate that I'm lazy. What a sad reality that we have gotten to in our culture that jaded weariness is a virtue. I've been to the uh, physical therapist a few times in my life because my name is Jeff Bush, apparently. That's just a part of me living. And uh, I, I really messed up my back a few years ago emptying a mop bucket because... That's what you do in your 40s, right? So I was out here in the hallway, and I cleaned up some kind of mess, and I had the bucket, and here's what I did. I, 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 I just lifted it high into the air. No, I didn't. All I did was went like that. That's it. And then all of a sudden, some massive shift of glory happened back here. Uh, it was not a movement of the Holy Spirit. It was very tingly and very intense. Uh, and, and, I, and I dropped the bucket quickly and went, which is the sign that you are in your 40s this picture right here ah right and I called my wife and I said I'm dying I'm dying and she said no you're a man settle down and uh <laughs> and she said well you need to go to the doctor you got to set up an appointment so I went in and I saw the doctor and said oh you have a problem with your sciatic nerve which is again a word you don't usually hear until you're in your 40s and so he said, you need to get some physical therapy. I went, ah, okay, the familiar physical therapy. Okay, so I went to my physical therapist here in town. And he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. First thing I want you to do is I just want you to walk across the room, and I'm going to watch you. And I went, say that again? Yeah, I'm going to walk across the room, and I said, do you want me to, like, you know, this type of thing? You know, he's like, no, just walk across the room. And okay, sure, right, walking across the room. How's this? And he is behind me, and I, I turn around, so I walk back, right? And he is watching me walk, and he's taking notes. And I went, what? How, how is this unique? What? And do it again. Do it again? Okay. How about? No, no, no. Be serious. Okay. Walk across the room. And, and I did that, and I came back to him again, and he's writing vigorously in his, in his notebook. And I said, what, what is this all about? And he said, do you know you have a limp? No, I, I don't have a limp. I mean, I, my back hurts, but I, I may... No, no, no. Do you know you have a natural limp? Had no idea. No. Um, well, let's do some tests. So we ran some x-rays. We did some tests. And we discovered that I have a very slight case of anisomelia, and this is that word, or LLD, which is leg length discrepancy. Basically, one of my legs is longer than the other by just a little bit. And he said, you have been compensating that for that for so long, you don't even know you have it. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk and put equal amount of weight intentionally on your feet as you walk across the room. Be really intentional about it. And I went, ow! 
that hurts my hip. He's like, yeah, that's because you've been compensating for this problem that you have in your body, which totally makes sense now. Now I know why I have the Jeff Bush waddle, right? So I was in, in Marshall University's marching band for a semester, and my, there's 200-some people down in the field. My dad, we're all dressed the same. My dad goes, there's Jeff. It's right there. Right? Because I got the waddle. Well, now I understand why, at least. You, you say you've been compensating for this your whole life. And here's what we do. We all do this. We have malformities in the way that we live our lives, the way that we do life, and what we do is we... Instead of addressing them, we just accept them as a reality. And we have compensated so much for them, we aren't even aware it's abnormal or potentially harmful. And here's another problem. Even when we become aware of it, we don't do anything about it. Do you know that people wait an average of three years to get needed surgeries? Some spouses in the room just went, all right? There's a concept called lifestyle occupation, which describes when a person gets into trouble uh, financially as a challenge in, uh, in, in their budget. And what they will do is, is they will say, oh, I'm in hock. I need to get better at my job. And so they'll try to become a better plumber or a better farmer or a better social worker, whatever. And the problem is often that the problem isn't that they are not working hard enough. It's that the system that they are working in won't ever be able to actually supply what they need consistently. But their answer is, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to try to do the same thing I already do over and over and better and better. When what is needed is a new perspective a new system, a new way to view our life and our world. We need reformation in the way that we work and the way that we rest. Folks, if you are stressed out, tired, anxious, always full of tension in your shoulders about tomorrow and regret in your gut about yesterday, this is not, this is not an acceptable normal it is the work of the adversary against you Jesus said this about the devil he called him a thief you know what a thief does a thief comes and takes he said this thief comes to steal and kill and destroy if you want to know what the work of the devil is if you want to identify the work of our adversary in the world today wherever you see Things stolen, stuff dying, things being broken. That's the work of the adversary. And Jesus contrasts that by his work. He says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that is not in eternity, although he is providing for that. It is now. As we are members in his kingdom now, he's come to bring life, eternal life beginning now. Anxiety, depression, the exhausted, busy of today is what the thief does in the West, just short for Western civilization, in America. That's what he does to steal our joy, to kill our hope and destroy our useful energy. You see, Jesus calls us to labor in the fields of harvest. 
It's meaningful labor. But he also says the labor is light because he is calling us to rhythms of work and rest. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what a yoke is? It's the weight, the burden of the oxen as they move forward. Jesus isn't saying, come and sit in the easy chair and just, you don't have to do anything. He's saying, I'm going to give you work that is meaningful, but it's not so heavy that it leads you into that anxiety and that depression and that burden. In fact, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, I think that when we hear the call of Jesus to follow him today, all we hear is that buzzing of busyness in our heads. I think we hear again, we, we feel the weight of the work of the distracting, stealing, killing, and destroying adversary in our lives. And we hear what Jesus said 13 times in the scriptures, those two words, follow me, and we only think about the cost of one more thing to try to figure out how to work in. Jesus, how can I possibly pray and study and worship and witness? I don't have room. We did a series last year called Leave Room for the Holy Spirit and that concept of making room for the presence of God for His, His, His word and His whisper to be able to actually speak is so true of all of our lives. That's why this, this kickoff for the year is, is just subtitled Make Room because the rhythms of the life of Jesus is to work well and to rest well. It's the practice of making room for meaningful work and meaningful rest. But how do I give up what is normal? Well, the problem, we can at least start with the problem of what we have called normal. What is normal today for us in our culture is hurting us. If you were to identify the greatest challenges of being in a healthy relationship with Jesus today, what would it be? If you were to look around the culture right now in the world and your community and you say, what are the biggest obstacles for people to be in real, healthy relationships with Jesus? What would the main challenges for someone who's trying to do their best to be an apprentice of Jesus be? Now, just if we're trying to answer that question, here's what an apprentice of Jesus does. Back in, in the day when Jesus was calling people to follow him, if you followed a rabbi, you became his apprentice, his follower, then what you were doing was basically three things. This is well known at the time. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, follow me. He says, be with me, be like me, and live like me. Be with Jesus, be like Jesus, live like Jesus. If we were saying... What are the biggest obstacles right now in our world to this, 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 this goal, these goals right now? What are the biggest obstacles? One might be inclined to say things like, well, it's this postmodern culture that we live in, post-church culture, liberal theology, the prosperity gospel that we've mentioned, the, the redefining of sexuality and marriage, internet pornography, 
the redefinition of gender, the lack of meaning in male and female, whether the earth is 6,000 years old or millions of years, or maybe even like how mean, what a meanie God was in the Old Testament, whatever, whatever. We, we, we'll think of these kind of high-tier issues, but how many of us would say that Satan's greatest obstacles are the constant alerts on my phone while I'm trying to read my Bible? Or a multi-day Netflix binge? Or the greatest obstacles are my dopamine addiction to Instagram and TikTok? Or another Saturday morning spent at the office? Or another soccer game scheduled on Sunday? Or any other and an ever-growing list of commitment after commitment after commitment. See, Satan in the Bible, he's not this curly mustache, greasy-haired guy in a red tight or a red, you know, skin-tight suit that goes. <laughs> That's the guy that shows up on SNL every once in a while. That's not the devil. He is much more savvy and intelligent. His stealing, his killing, his destroying is much, much smarter and much more subtle. It's the death of a thousand spiritual cuts and a limp that we have accepted over time that we don't even know we have until our joints are so messed up that we can't use them anymore. So what do we do? Well, church, friends, we do what we have been doing since the inception of the church. We become countercultural. You want to be a rebel today in our society? Be a Christian. Mom was right. If all your friends go and jump off the bridge, would you do it too? Yeah. <laughs> No, Mom, I'm not an idiot. Judging by our busyness, our anxiety, our depression, our inability to say no, and our inability to say yes to the calling of Jesus to follow, it seems we've been jumping off a lot of bridges with our friends for a while. And it's time to live a different way. It's time to practice the way of Jesus. So, so what are we going to practice then? This year we're going to practice four spiritual disciplines. Four spiritual disciplines. Now, what's a spiritual discipline? Well, let's say it this way. The practices or the spiritual disciplines are habits based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create time and space for us to access the presence and power of the Father, and in doing so, be transformed by the Spirit. Let's, let's look through that statement one more time. The practices, or spiritual disciplines, and spiritual disciplines isn't just about this thing that you can't see, it's body and mind, when the Bible says that. okay. So it's these body and mind practices are habits based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create time and space. Oh, I like the sound of that. They create time and space for us to access the presence and the power of the Father, and in doing so, we 
are transformed by the Spirit. Discipline. Think about that word and try to wash off the idea of discipline that we have associated in our world, and our culture. We hear that word and we go, ooh, hard stuff, stuff to be avoided, stuff I've got to do but I hate to do. Discipline, and especially spiritual or mind and body discipline, are just actions, they're just actions that turn into habits that transform us over time. So one definition would be any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which I currently cannot do by direct effort. So think about uh, this idea here on the screen. Think about this idea with weightlifting. Right? I cannot force up 300 pounds right now. Just a personal reality for me. I could really try. I could put a whole lot of effort into it. I could burst blood vessels in my face but eventually that bar would choke me and someone would have to rescue me all right but i could if i practiced at lighter weight over time get to the point where i could absolutely curl 300 pounds in each arm just like Corey does every morning as he is eating his wheaties okay just You know, it's interesting, Paul, in his writings in the Scripture, uses exercise, that discipline I'm talking about right there, more than any other metaphor to help us to understand what it is to develop spiritually the mind and the body. It's not that it's impossible to get the rhythms of Jesus going in our lives. It's that components are impossible in our current state where we are. I'm not, now, how many times have you heard that message? Hey, <clears throat> I want you to, we're going to teach you all about how to, uh, to pray, and then here's the three points on how to pray. Now, go home and do it, but you're not going to be able to. <laughs> or go home and learn these three points on prayer. Now, go home and do it, and you try to do it. And go, well, that didn't work. There are parts of our spiritual life and our spiritual discipline that we have to grow muscles in. We have to start small and work our way up. That's what this transformative work of the Holy Spirit and God in our lives does over time. If you're not there yet, that's okay. Don't be frustrated with yourself because you can't lift 300 pounds in your spiritual discipline yet. How do we do it then? We start with a few push-ups, right? If we can't do that, we start on our knees to do a push-up. If we can't do that, we lean on a wall and we push off the wall until we start to grow those muscles and that flexibility inside of our body. Wherever you are, God meets you there. Isn't that good news? That God meets you where you are, not where you should be. And this is the heart of MVA, too. We want to meet people wherever they are to help to move them closer to Jesus. And I want you to notice this, too, about the practices that we shared up there. What we're going to do is, is, is specifically, we're going to work in four practices, Sabbath, prayer, fasting, and solitude. All practices of the way of Jesus. These are time-tested for thousands of years now by millions of followers of Jesus 
time-tested practices from the way of Jesus, the ways that he taught and modeled, that will create time and space in your life to hear the voice of the Father, to be formed into the image of the Son, to be encouraged by and loved and led by the Spirit. And what I want you to notice about this is that Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, they don't in and of themselves create this in us. They help to create the space in our lives where God does the work internally. Jesus is calling us to take up a cross and follow him, to do challenging work, and he is calling us at the same time to lay down our burdens and rest. How do those play together? They are the rhythms of grace. The antithesis of the modern living world in most cases. To live and work purposefully and do things of great value and to live and rest purposefully and have great value in peace in our hearts and in our souls. And I am really personally thrilled to be offering you and anyone who will join us on this journey an opportunity to reset and rewire and renew and experience these rhythms of grace that Jesus has provided for us. To do that, <clears throat> we're going to be holding four sets of four-week practices over the course of the year in small group environments. Pretty small groups, okay? Four practices four weeks, uh, four times a year. So one each quarter for four weeks. This year and, and next and frankly in the future beyond, we're inviting people to hope and to escape from the modern busy to peace in the way of Jesus. And here's how we're going to do it. Here's what one of those groups will look like, just the structure of it. I'll show you a quick video on that. We at Practicing the Way are here to serve as your guide, but you are the one walking out the journey, and the people around you are your companions on the way, and of course, Jesus is the one you are following. To that end, each practice is four sessions long, and is designed to be done over four weeks. Each session includes an interactive experience where you come together with your small group or community, listen to a teaching, and then dialogue about it. But it also includes spiritual exercises because we don't just talk about the Sabbath or prayer or fasting. We go out that coming week and practice Sabbath or prayer, or we fast. And then you come back together for the next session to reflect on your experience as a community. I can't wait to see what Jesus does in you and in your community through this practice. That's the structure of the group. So beginning tonight and over the next five nights at 6 p.m., we're going to be doing training for those who are going to lead those four-week practicing the way groups. And if you've expressed interest in being a leader in those groups, please uh, sign up if you have not yet for a time. You only have to come to one of those training sessions this week. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 6 p.m. Uh, if you need child care, let us know. We have a night for that. Uh, but this week, our intention is to get all of the leaders committed to the time and location of their group that they're going to run, the place and the time that they're going to run it. So 
Next week, we can put those times and opportunities in front of everyone so all of us can be a part of practicing the way this year. Those groups will start in three weeks. So practicing the way groups will begin January 28th, the week of January 28th. That's the, the, the last week of the month going into the first few days of February. Here's your marching orders for today. I know that you struggle with the way the culture functions. I know busy is a challenge for you because every person I've talked to struggles with this. But I also know that you know someone who is burdened with busy, and they don't know our Jesus, who provides meaningful, satisfying work and meaningful, satisfying rest. And I know you want them to know the Savior who heals now and who heals forever. Inviting them to a practicing the way group on Sabbath rest, which is where we're going to start, is a great place to start them on that journey. Some people might not be comfortable to come into a church building on a Sunday morning, but to invite them to a place where we say, hey, uh, we're going to be studying how to rest, and I know busy is a big deal for all of us. So to that end, we're providing a document that's going to be in an online blog this week. You'll see it posted on our Facebook page. And it's just called Nine Ways to Get Some Real Rest from Never-Ending Busyness. And it's a great uh, tool, uh, I believe, for people to just look through this list and some great little practices and adjustments to make in our lives to, to combat this cultural busyness that's all around us. There's an invite in it to be a part of our journey this year. But here's the thing. If you just give them the document, if you just share it with them, and they don't respond to the invite to be a part of the groups, it's just, it's just a nice gift to people to help to move a little bit closer to the way of Jesus. So no pressure, but it's a, it's a great opportunity to get people connected, and we want to invite people into the hope that Jesus provides. And so watch for that. It'll, it'll post up on our Facebook page this week. So as you are definitely not being addicted to social media and checking out Facebook, uh, watch for that to show up and share that around your community so that we can invite others to the journey as well. And you certainly use it for a resource yourself. Um, this is our heart at MBA. It is to meet people where they are and move them closer to the rest-giving, anxiety-ending, depression-destroying life of meaning in Jesus. Would you be bold to share the rest that he offers and invite them to the journey with us. Because here's the guarantee. If you commit to this journey with us for three months, I guarantee, if they commit to this journey for three months, I guarantee your stress will diminish, you will be less busy, and your daily burden will be lighter. Your stress will diminish, you will be less busy, and your daily burden will be lighter. If it doesn't happen, I will personally work with you to get you to that point. And it's not because I can make that promise. It's because Jesus made that promise. When he said, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray together. Father, you have invited us to a cross to carry and a light yoke where we lay down our burdens. And Father, we long for purpose and value in life. We long not to be overburdened by that which <coughs> doesn't have long-term significance. And Lord, perhaps we have just been missing the way of Jesus because that's what you have called us to, to meaningful work and meaningful rest. But Lord, a part of that we know right now is going to mean us having to make changes, to cut the fat, to make space, not to add one more thing. Lord, but to make room for you to do your work. And so help us now as we enter into a year where we begin to make room and make space for real work and real rest to begin to make hard choices about what must go to the wayside so that you can become primary. Help us to trim that which does not matter to make room for you. We look forward to the journey with you this year, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. The reality is most of us are just too busy to enjoy God. As you begin your practice, we are not calling you to add this practice onto your already over-busy, maxed-out life. We're not calling you to do more, but to do less, to clear your life, not clutter it. So if you're going to add this new practice in to your day or week, the first task is to audit your life and cut out a few habits from your regular routine. Netflix, social media, that side project, whatever it is for you. Less is more when your goal is to walk in what Jesus called the easy yoke.